So we have been doing a series on doubt um, for the past few weeks, which I'm really glad we have been doing that. It's been really great because if you think about it, we all at some point experience doubt in our lives, right? Some point in our faith journey, we're going to have questions along the way, right? So um, with Dave, we defined doubt and we defined faith. So we said that doubt is not skepticism, which is deciding to question everything. Doubt is not unbelief, the decision to not have faith in God. But it is asking questions and voicing uncertainties from the standpoint of faith. And then we said that faith is relational trust. So trusting in things unseen. So it seeks understanding and it is obedience flowing from a transformed heart. So we talked about that and then Dave mentioned that there's a difference between believing doubt and unbelieving doubt. And so believing doubt can be a way to really grow you in your faith because you're wrestling with questions that are pushing you to seek out truth because belief leads to action. So our actions are going to show us at times what we might have doubt in or what we might doubt or where we might struggle. Our actions reveal that. So today we're going to look at different types of doubt, different aspects of doubt that we see in the Bible and how they show themselves in our lives. Um, Did you know that in the New Testament there's not just one word that they use to represent doubt, but instead it's kind of a range of words and images that it uses. So it's kind of like different pieces of a puzzle that we see different aspects, but if you put it together to make a whole, then we get a better, better picture of what doubt looks like. So we're going to look at the different um, aspects of doubt that we see in the Bible. So the first one is hesitation. So in Matthew 28, Jesus appears to the disciples, and this is after he has died and risen and coming back to life. So he's alive again, and he appears to all of them. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So even after seeing the risen Christ in the flesh, some people still doubted, almost like, is this too good to be true? Is this really happening? So we see that. And then we see the word doubt here in Greek is distasso, which means to hesitate or to hold back. So that's what that's referring to. And so we see it again in Matthew 14 when Jesus walks on water. So his disciples went out ahead of them, ahead of him on the boat. Jesus was praying. They're on the boat in the middle of the lake, and then all of a sudden they see Jesus walking to them on top of the lake. And so they see this, and Peter says, in verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began, he, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So it's interesting because in both of these times that we see this doubting happen, it's when these extraordinary miracles are happening, right? Jesus is back from the dead, and he's literally walking on water. So we see these miraculous things happen, and that's when they're, they're doubting and they're hesitating. It honestly puts it in perspective to me because you don't have to be a super Christian and have it all together and never doubt and have it all figured out because even his disciples doubted and they saw these incredible things. Um, so you can see Peter's doubt 
through his hesitation. So his, he hesitated because he lost focus on Jesus and, he, and, and the power of God. And instead, he got wrapped up in all the things going around him, thinking that this nature would be more powerful than God. So hesitation betrays a lack of trust. Um, so if you hesitate to accept something or like agree on something with a friend or make a deal or, you know, whatever it is, it, sometimes it shows underneath that there's something or someone that you're just not trusting completely. It reminds me of on Aladdin with Jasmine. So, you know, like this is the scene when he's holding out his hand and he wants to take her on a magic carpet ride, right? And he's like, do you trust me? And she's like, uh... Yes, because she's hesitating. She's trying to decide if she can trust him and trust his character. And honestly, her instincts are probably right at first because he is lying to her face about who he is, right? Yes, but she's trying to decide if she can trust him. You know, Jesus says for us to have faith like children. Um, children don't hesitate, do they? Not at all. If, you're, if, like, if you've been at impact, kids don't hesitate. They just jump in or they just trust implicitly. Um, last summer, I took my son to have swim lessons. He was three at the time. And so the lady was amazing. And within a day, he could swim. But that means like he could swim from me to the edge of the pool, right? Or he could jump in and swim to the steps. So just because he could go two feet doesn't mean he could like actually swim uh, for Luke, however, he thought he was invincible, and so he would just, like, launch himself into the pool. I mean, he wouldn't even, sometimes he'd be like, hey, mama, I'm, I'm coming, or hey, mama, catch me, but most of the time, I would turn around, and he's just, like, jumping in, and I have to, like, dive over there and catch him, because he just trusted that I would be there, and he would trust that I would catch him, and he would trust that it was fine. It's no big deal. Like, i am be fine. I can swim, um, and so he just trusted um, because he's never had a reason to doubt me. And so kids have no hesitation. And that's why parents are, can be obnoxious about the whole stranger danger thing and right, not looking both ways across the street. And they get repetitive about that because kids just trust that it'll be fine. But they haven't been jaded. They haven't seen the hard things and the nasty things of the world. Um, and those things can make it hard for us to have the faith of a child. Because if you have already seen the messed up things of the world, you've seen people lie, you've seen people break promises, you've seen horrible things happen on the news, and there's just bad people out there making bad choices. And so we've seen these hard things, and so it makes us question God's goodness or makes it hard to trust in his character. So sometimes if we hesitate to accept the gospel, we need to look at are we really trusting in God's promises? Are we trusting in his character? Um, we see hesitation when we don't know if we can trust that God is really good like he claims to be, or if, are his rules confining, or are they good for us? Um, in those situations, we need to allow the doubt to push us to seek out answers and understand God's character more. So the next thing is indecision. Um, so we see a few examples of this, of just this idea of debating with yourself or being unsure what to do. So in Romans 4.20, it talks about Abraham's faith. And he says in there, no distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God. So no distrust made him waver. He didn't go back and forth on whether or not he should follow God or whether or not God would keep his promises. He just 
trusted and he moved forward in action because of that. And then in James 1.6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So it talks about a wave of the sea. I mean, if you've ever been on the ocean, you know, when the waves are really rough, like you can't even stand sometimes because it just pushes you back and forth. And sometimes it's even hard to keep your head up because you have just no stability. So that's this idea here of being indecisive, being pushed back and forth. Sometimes... Um, my personality traits, this is like story of my life. I am the most indecisive person ever. It's very, very frustrating. Like menus at restaurants are stressful to me. The BJ's menu, that's like 20 pages long, you know, the book. I mean, I just, I can't even, like I usually just get whatever my husband's ordering. Actually, every time I have to ask what Ben is ordering because I will most likely have food envy and want what he's having because he just chooses based off of what looks good and then I sit there trying to decide okay what do I want and then what's healthy and then I'm usually but it's usually between like do I want this sandwich with bacon or with ranch and then it's usually like I'll just put spinach on it and then call it healthy Um, no but for me I get torn between what I want what I desire and then what I think might be better for me Um, And so, because I want to do the right thing, I want to do what I'm supposed to do right, but my feelings can get in the way of that sometimes. So, sometimes we can feel at war with ourselves, right? So, Paul talks a lot in the New Testament about putting off the old self and living in a new life with Christ. So, sometimes it's like you're at war between your old self and your new self, right? Your old self wants to do these other things and latch on to what, what everyone else is doing. And the old self is skeptical that God's way is, is really the best for us when we can't always understand why. But our new self does want to follow God. Like, I do believe this is right. I want to do the Christian thing, and I want to do it right. But it's hard to reconcile the two. Sometimes we don't want God to be fully part of our life. I mean, some part of my life? Sure every part of my life to affect the words that I say, the choices that I make, how I treat others. Doubt and indecision can come from a lack of commitment to God. So imagine that you're hanging out with friends. You're hanging out over at someone's house, and then somebody pulls out a phone or a substance that you know, you've heard, you probably shouldn't partake in that. And so then you're torn and you're debating in your mind. You're like, okay, what do I do? Because if I, if I don't do this here, I might not get invited back. I might get made fun of. I might, whatever might happen. And then you're over here saying, well, but this is also not right. And I know this isn't what God wants me to do. He doesn't want me to look at that or take that. And so you're torn between the temptation and what you know is right. But honestly, if you're committed to the promises of God, if you committed to living this life holy because Christ has already called you holy, because of this sacrifice that Christ has already made for you to call you righteous, if we're going to then follow after and commit to him the same commitment that he has given to us, then when you're in that moment, it's not even a decision that you have to make. It's already decided. You've already figured out before you're in that situation. So the question is, 
Are you committed to God and his promises for you? Honestly, doubt and indecision can be a way of showing us where we lack in faith and where we need to grow, but that we shouldn't let that get us down. Instead, you can let that push you to seek out God through prayer and studying more about God so you can understand why, in fact, he calls us this way. Um, so the next thing is being in two minds, which first, I honestly think of Gollum from Lord of the Rings when I think about being in two minds. You know, like one minute he's Smeagol and he's like this nice little hobbit. He just wants to live his life. And then the next minute he's obsessed with this ring and he wants to take it for himself. So he's like warring with himself the entire series and you never know which one you're going to get. Um, it's not a great example, but I think of it because you can't be holy in something or committed to something if you're also living this life over here. So there's an analogy from a philosopher named John Buridan. And imagine there's this hungry donkey placed midway between a pile of food on each side. And so this donkey has to decide, is he going to eat this food or this food? Because if he doesn't decide, then he's going to stay right there and he's going to starve because he's not going to get any food. So think about this idea with doubt. Believe or not believe. So each has their different rewards that come from it, right? But only if you're fully committed to it. Because you can't really come over here and live out this, you know, YOLO attitude, take what you want, whatever you want, you do what you want. And you're not going to be able to fully reap the benefits of that if you also think there is a chance there's a God and he is ultimate judge in our life and there is an afterlife. You're, that's going to take away from living this lifestyle, right, if you know that there might be a chance that could happen. But it's also hard to take the gospel seriously and to live out a life if you think that there's a chance there's not an afterlife. Um, so it's hard to reap benefits from either one. So you're not going to fully benefit from either one if you have half in both mindsets. But let me tell you, Jesus said to be in the world but not other world, of the world. He didn't say be both things. So there's always going to be tension between believers in the world. And Jesus even said the world is going to hate us. And a lot of times we try to make both work and have a foot on both sides, saying like, well, I'm going to believe, but I'm also going to do this thing over here because I want to. And Jesus and I are tight, so it's, it's cool. Um, but it just... It doesn't work. I mean, look how painful that looks. Um, work, working through our doubt and decisions mean you have to get both feet on one side. You've got to choose a side. Alistair McGrath says, The New Testament sees commitment to the gospel as the essential starting point for developing a right attitude to the world. No longer need we be, need we be frightened by death. No longer are we hypnotized by wealth. We are enabled to live in the world without giving in to its standards and anxieties. I love that. We don't have to give in to its anxieties because there are a lot of anxieties in our world, right? How stressful is it to keep striving after these things that aren't really going to satisfy us when you could be on the right side of the cliff enjoying these promises of a, a better hope, of a peace of knowing who you are in Christ, and a freedom of living within his perfect design for us. So the next thing is 
doubt as a state of mind. So when Jesus resurrects, he comes back to life and he visits his disciples. Thomas, one of his disciples, is not with him, not with them whenever he visits. And so the disciples tell Thomas what happened and Thomas doubts that they really saw Jesus. He's kind of like, sure you did. I'll believe it when I see it. So then Jesus appears to him um, and he tells him, he tells him in John 20, he says, stop doubting and believe. So the word here doesn't imply for him to just do it that once. He's not saying, stop doubting this one time on this one thing. Instead, he's implying a continuous action. So he's saying, stop doubting for good. Just stop altogether and then just keep on believing. Almost like set your mind to stop doing that for good. Because doubt and faith are both states of mind and attitude. So what are you going to set your mind to? Are you going to choose to let doubt hold you back Or are you going to choose faith in spite of doubts, but let them push you to find the answers? I like what Alistair McGrath says. He says, doubt can be a constant attitude of questioning toward God, where faith can be a constant attitude of trust and openness. We are being asked to develop a permanent attitude of openness and trust toward God, not just to be open to him and trust him on any one occasion, but to be like this all the time. This results in conflict at times, since our old tendency to doubt God's surfaces But this just underscores our need to commit ourselves more fully to him again. So it comes to where you need to pick your cliff, right? You need to put both feet on one side. So sometimes that means moving forward in faith, even if you're unsure, but God will make it clearer in time. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. In Hebrews 11, it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and conviction of this things not seen. So I want you to imagine this analogy with me. Imagine you lived in the old frontier days before all the electricity and cars and all that stuff. And so you want to walk to Austin. Um, And so it's starting to get dark. Remember, there's no lights, nothing. So, but you decide to keep going because you know this road leads to Austin. You had seen the little signpost. And so you start walking in the dark. But then some things about the road seem weird. All of a sudden there's this sharp left turn and you, you don't really know why, but you just keep going. You're like, okay. And then, then all of a sudden you step in something wet and it's a little muddy and you're like, okay. I, do, I also don't know why it's muddy, but I'm just gonna keep going on the road. But then when the sun comes up, things become a lot clearer. And maybe you realize that the reason you had a sharp left turn was because there was this ditch in front of you, and so you would have fallen in if the road hadn't curved. And maybe you realize that there was a huge storm to the side of the road, and so that's why it was a little wet in front of you, and that's why it was all muddy and nasty. So you realize, you finally see that the road was actually protecting you the whole time and was actually keeping you safe and helped you get on your way to where you needed to go. The point of that analogy is, is that we don't see the full picture. God sees the full picture. And so there's a lot of things in our life that don't make sense. And it is understandable to have doubt when that happens, when we can't see the full picture and we don't see things clearly like God does. So we don't always see the dangers and the consequences that can happen from from one decision that we can make or from when we decide to stray from the path. 
and it can be frustrating to not understand why God designed things the way he did. Why did he give people um, different roles? Why did he design this a certain way? Why did he ask us and call us to live life a certain way? We can't see everything like God does. And what's hard is our society makes these big pushes and says the next big thing is this is what we should adopt. And that makes it hard because it can make us question Christianity and, and question if it's right and if it's good. And, but it's clear that society is longing for something, right? If you, just, if you just look out there, you see that they're looking for something for, to find their identity in or to find the meaning of life or to find out what is right. And they're trying to figure out what is truth also, just like us. And we can let Christianity speak into those things. But here's the thing is we're wanting to put ourselves up here with God. But we're not. We are finite and God is infinite. We are creation and God is creator. So we are not up here with God. How could we expect to be on the same level and know the same things that God knows? How could we understand fully his design of everything? So God doesn't just completely leave us in the dark, though, right? He gave us his word. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So he gives us help and guidance along the way. His, his word is wisdom for our life. I like what Alistair McGrath again says. It says, But how could we as finite creatures ever hope to gain a total understanding of our situation? What really matters is the fact that God promises to be faithful to us, to remain with us as we travel, to guide us and support us, and that Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for us. The gospel doesn't pretend to explain every aspect of our life as believers. It does, however, promise that God will be with us throughout life. In the end, it is the saving presence of God in the life of believers that matter more than a complete explanation of the way things are. But the big thing is is that Christ has come before us. He humbled himself and he came to earth and he showed us what it looks like to walk the narrow path. He showed us what it looks, looks like to live a humble life following after God. He gave us his example. He gave us his words. And most importantly, he gave us his life on the cross so that we could be justified and made righteous, so that we could have a chance to walk in a relationship with God. And that in itself shows a lot about God's character. So it's okay that we don't get everything, right? God already knows we're not going to get it all. But he's still asking us to have faith. And you know, God says to seek and we will find. So if we're unsure, we can trust in the promises of God. Or we're, if we're unsure if we can, if we're unsure of the character of God, then seek him out because he will make himself known and he'll make it clear. All right, I'm going to pray and then we can break out. Lord, we just thank you so much for being a God who would love us so much that you would send your son down to give us an example, Lord. That even in times when when we doubt or we're unsure of your goodness, Lord, that you still show up and you are still faithful to us, Lord. That no matter how much we may question or doubt, or stray, God, you are still right here and you're our constant. And you have loved us before we even knew we wanted to be loved, Lord. I just pray that we can um, take that to heart, God, that we would just uh, 
wrestle with doubt, but let it seek, let us seek truth through that, Lord, and that you would just make yourself known to us. Ask all this in Jesus' name.